Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Rabbi Tzvi Goldstein, all the way from Eretz Yisrael. And we're going to be talking today about an interesting case in the Chavos Ya'er about an employee choosing to rescind their commitment to work for their employer. So before I even jump in and even give your bi- biography, I just want to give a huge kudos, a huge shkoyach to choosing a Choshen Mishpat topic. We don't have as many Choshen Mishpat topics on the show as I would like, so I appreciate you doing this mace mitzvah and uh, making sure to address a topic that's sorely needed. So before Rabbi Goldstein goes in, let's learn who Rabbi Goldstein is. Rabbi T. Goldstein learned at Yeshiva University under Rabbi Meir Torsky, Rabbi Mordechai Willig, and Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig. Upon graduating with a degree in psychology, he made Aliyah with his wife Jeanette to finish Smicha Yeshiva University's Gruss Institute and began teaching at Yeshiva HaKotel. Heavily influenced by the thought of Rabbi Samson Rafal Hirsch and Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, Rabbi Goldstein taught a wide variety of classes, some of which formed the basis of his Sefer, Halachic World Views, I believe available on Mosaica and on Amazon, and if you want, we could put more information in the description for those who are interested. Rabbi Goldstein now lives with his wife and three kids in Mitzpah Yericho. I hope that, God willing, things are as safe and serene as possible during these difficult times, and I thank you for making the time to share Torah with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. So without any uh, further ado, so I'm very interested, as I said, I'm very excited to have a Choshe Mishpat-oriented topic. I think this is the first time we're doing the Chavas Yair on the show. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit, uh, just briefly, who's the Chavas Yair? What do we have to know about this tshuva? What's the question being dealt with? And how is it addressed? Yeah, so the Chavas Yair is Rav Yair Chaim Bachrach, um, lived in the 1600s in Germany, I think he a lot of the, the famous names, the worms and names, um, he, he made his way around. Um, so he, his, I think, most famous work is this collection of Chuvos, the Chavos Yair. And the question is really a, a fantastic one. Um, sometimes it, while you're kind of browsing through Shutim, some are more, uh, let's say, day-to-day and some are more fantastical um, or more, more out there, let's say. This is one of the day-to-day ones, but it, the way it's asked is just very interesting. Um, and kind of made me laugh. Uh, the way I got it is through the Sugi and the Gemara, which, uh, where I guess we're going to get back to while we're going through the Shuva. Uh, but it was, it was very interesting to see the way that it was it was applied. So this is um, number one hundred six in the Chavos Yair. Sheila, me. The question came from Mannheim, one of the one of the students of uh, the Chavos Yair. Basically, said that somebody in our community, there's an uh, older woman who who needed uh, some household help. And because of the reputation that she had, I guess you can call her a, a stickler or a, a little bit of um, um, so, some interesting sensitivities um, for the people that she hired. She picked up this reputation of somebody who was not a good person to work with, and she was having a lot of trouble finding somebody to work for her as household help. Finally, um, the, the, the questioner, says um, there's a seems like a young girl who needed a job needed the money so she she took the job 
and relatively quickly they, they got into they got into some arguments. Um, some of the things that are mentioned is anytime this this uh, this uh, woman this girl dropped a, dropped a dish or broke a plate, so that would be subtracted from her salary, which she was very upset about. Um, I think the bread box was always kept locked. Um, which was a, a, one of the questions is whether this is seen as normal or uh, a little bit too a little bit too strict, too stringent. I'm getting eventually some kind of uh, Cinderella vibes over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, so eventually, this woman decided this is this is too much, and she left. She ran away, and she ended up finding what seems like a better job <laughs> with with a different person in the community. Um, that's actually going to be a relevant part of this truba. She she ended she got a different job. It seems like she took that job instead of for pay. She just took it for room and board. So it was it was so difficult to work for this woman she, that she was getting paid by. She she'd rather just get the food and lodging and not have to deal with the uh, stussen, <laughs> the, the challenges of this um, stickler. So yeah, the woman, I mean, the, was, the, the language that he uses to describe her is like a ragzonis, capdonis, atzronis, yep. uh, all these different uh, synonyms for someone who's very difficult to work with. So I, I really feel bad for this young woman who's uh, who's employed by her. Exactly. You're, you really get, get a good sense of the picture from the way the question was asked, which I, I happen to enjoy. <laughs> um, so so this this, empl this the employer, this uh, older woman, was very upset about this. Um, she obviously needed uh, needed the help. And she actually um, realized that this, this girl, woman, whoever the, the helper was, had left her Shabbos dress, her, her Shabbos outfit, which is generally the more the more expensive piece of clothing, um, had left it at the employer, and she was toe-face it. She grabbed it and said, I'm using this as a security, as a deposit, basically, and I'm going to hire somebody else to take your place, and I'm using your clothing to pay for that because you just, you, you, um, you skipped out on the job. You made a commitment and you just left. So therefore, I'm I'm justified in using your your property in order to pay for whatever the cost is. And the Truve actually notes that the cost was obviously higher, right? The people were charging above the going rate to be hired to, to work for this woman. But she said, I'm using basically you're the one who's gonna have to foot the bill for this new for this replacement uh, serving girl or helper because you made a commitment to me and you quit on the job. So they brought the, the question that was being posed to the Chavis Yair was who's correct in this case? Is it the serving girl? And therefore the Shabbos dress needs to be returned and she's not um, responsible for any of the payments? Or would we, should we side with this older woman and she actually is justified in taking this girl's clothing and using it to finance this new helper? Right. And, uh, you know, I was just glancing. He makes reference, of course, to Simon Shinlame Gimel in Choshe Mishpat, which talks all about these different kinds of cases. And uh, I don't have the precise line with me, but I think even he said, yeah, that whole Simon and Shulchan Aruch really requires some clarification and analysis, which I was so comforted to see because I was learning through parts of this of the Simon. And I said to myself, wow, this is a really confusing Simon. And then the Chavis Yar even said, someone needs to clarify this. And I'm like, if the Chavis Yar says this is something complicated, then I'm, I'm a good company over here. But um one distinction I think that's made there is when someone commits to work for someone versus rescinding their commitment in middle of their employment. So here, this isn't, you know, I've had in my Rabbanus, uh, interestingly, I've received, uh, I remember receiving a Shiloh about someone who committed to work for one employer. They didn't start the job, but then they got a better offer for a job that was closer to home, maybe even had better benefits. And they want to know if they already did maybe a little bit of a situmta, a handshake, but there weren't wasn't any contracts written up yet. Or even if there was, would he have the right to rescind? 
And the interesting thing was, I actually was consulting with a posek because Hoshi, uh, I don't have yarin yarin. I'm not a I'm not a posek, so I just wanted to make sure my thinking was right. Usually, these kind of cases, the employer or the person who extended the offer. If you have a discussion with them and you explain to them that's difficult for my family, uh, really this isn't going to work out, they probably don't want you working for them either because they realize that you're not going to put your heart and soul into it. So you come to a mutual understanding. That way there's no uh, Misha Parad, there's no curse for, for backing out in such a case. But here it sounds like this woman uh, was not going to come to a mutual agreement. She was no. seemingly, unfortunately, from what's being reported, oppressing uh, this young woman in, who was working for her. And uh, so I guess the question you're saying is, in the Chavis Yar, is because she committed to work for a certain period of time, does she have to compensate her employer for the work that she is not doing? Does she have a right to terminate her employment in the middle? Right, exactly. So there are a few things which are important that, that the Chavis Yar brings up as part of this tshuva. Um, you, you mentioned towards the end that uh, it sounds like this woman was oppressing her. One of the one of the most important details for the, the, the Chavis Yar says that needs to be determined is is this woman's conduct in line with what's called the minigamakom. If this is considered normal behavior or at least relatively normal behavior in your community, so then she that gives her a lot more. Uh, it gives it puts a lot more weight, I guess, to her claims to say that I, I'm entirely justified in what I'm doing, and she had no real reason to to back out. And that that would give her a lot more. Let's say it, it would put a lot more of um, a lot more reason to say that she was justified in her in her argument if um it seems to be really out there if, if this is not considered normal conduct so then even though we usually have a rule in Harov, we don't follow the the rove when it comes we don't follow the majority of the population when it comes to matters of mamanos of, of monetary issues financial issues Tavis says in a case like this this would be we, we would um trigger a different rule of butla daito it's okaladam that the the opinion the perspective is nullified and this is so out there this is so unique let's call it that it wouldn't even be considered a, a valid opinion um so one of the things which the the local community rabbi would need to determine is is this woman's conduct more or less in line with what's normal for the community or is this really strange if it's if it's really strange so then the young girl, most likely the, the woman, would be the one who's um, seen as correct, uh, as justified in quitting. The whole idea of the fact that, that a worker can quit in the first place, I think, is something which you kind of need to start with in order to understand this tshuva. And Chavis Yair says th there are a number of questions which you could potentially be asking me about. The whole intro to this, this uh, tshuva is interesting. He's like, I'm not really sure what question you're asking. There, there are a lot of different things which you potentially could be asking could be asking me about. And then he goes on to discuss a number of them. But one of the one of the issues that he brings up is the whole idea of an employer being able to terminate his contract in the middle of a job this is actually how I got into this question in the first place. So Sugya that shows up a couple of times in Bava Metziah, um, on Yud, I think somewhere in the Samos as well. Um, the, the quote from the Gemara, the line from the Gemara, is that a po'el yachol lachzor um, a worker is allowed to break his contract, is allowed to renege or rescind his um, application, not even his application, he's allowed to um, walk away from a job. Um, even if he's in the middle of the day, meaning he's already started. Um, so let's say just as a very basic example, you have a, a guy who's hired to harvest the field and it's going to take him eight hours. So he's, he gets a certain price. So let's say 80, 80 shekel, $80 for the eight hours of work. And after four hours, he's like, you know, this is not, I didn't sign up for this. This is, this is tough. This is hard. 
And he's like, I, I'm quitting, I'm done. So the Gemara says, He's allowed to just take his 40 shekel, $40, and walk away right there. And just re reading that Gemara is just so surprising. Um, you, you mentioned the concept of a Mishapara, uh, a person who doesn't keep his word. There, there's a curse associated with, with backing backing off of a word in certain cases. Just the idea of, of Midvar Shekhar Tircha could be committed. You said you're going to do something. So then we generally assume that you're going to do it. How is it okay that a worker is allowed to just walk away from a job like that? So it's such a surprising din. Um, I think it's a case like this where you're, you're so surprised what you, you read in the Gemara. Obviously, we're not going to reject it. The, the impulse should be, let's look deeper into this and try to understand what's going on here. Right. So, so this is all building up to perhaps a very overarching and fundamental, almost like Hashkafic point that comes out from this. And I think this is probably why I imagine you chose this tshuva, not just for a, of course, any Stam Choshe Mishpa topic is fascinating, and this is certainly one of them, but there's a more fundamental overarching value, which I know in your book and in your work, this is what you try to get to, is to get the meta halacha from the halacha. So what is the overriding meta halachic value that allows a worker to renege in middle of their commitment? Yeah, so it's actually something which really, in this case, jumps off the page of the Gemara because well, the Gemara gives a source for the Salahar, right? It doesn't just uh, throw it throw it out of nowhere, throw it out of left field. The Gemara says that the source for this Salahar is Dichtiv, Ki li b'nei Yisrael avadim, um, a pasuk towards the end of Bahar, um, yeah, Parsh Bahar, I think, that b'nei, b'nei Yisrael are mine, they're my servants. Um, and the Gemara comments, avadai heim below avadim la avadim. The, the, the idea behind that pasuk um, is that they're my servants, Hashem says, and not servants to servants, that, that a person cannot become or is not meant to be um, a servant to a human, a bus or a dumb. So that is not the type of pasuk that you'd normally expect to find used in a halacha context, right? This right. is not um, this is not a shor or chesev oez ki This is not a oh salma chayim. This is not like your, your classic psukim that you find in halacha contexts. Um, for sourcing dinam like this, this almost sounds like one of those hashkafic psukim. This, this sounds like a pasuk, which is much broader and, and less related to the nitty-gritty details of halacha. But that's what, that's what the Gemara is doing here. The Gemara is using that pasuk to source this very surprising din. So that's what my uh, one of my rabbim at Y.U. or Sivilovsky, uh, he would refer to... Now, this is a legitimate application, of course, because the Gemara does it, and the Shulchan Aruch paskins this way, and the Chavaz Yar, etc., and all the literature. But he would generally call when someone tries to bring some sort of hashkafic idea into the halachic discussion, he'd say, that's a nice Shabbos morning sermon topic, but yeah. <laughs> you don't bring that into the sheer room. But here, what's so fascinating, what you're pointing out is that Dafka were taking something which is sounds like it'd be a nice, you know, inspirational Shabbos morning drasha topic, but we all have to remember how we're avadim, we're servants of Hashem, and it actually has real halachic implications in the laws of employment. It's it's remarkable. Yeah. It's really remarkable. And, exactly. and then so this, I, this is really what caught my attention. Right. And, and if I, lo I, I looked in the Ramah in Sif Gimel, and he says that a Malamed or a Sofer, so someone who's like teaching or someone who wants to be in the employment of someone else, that's also for them. They're not allowed to commit for more than three years to work in someone's home because then I guess it's a Chazaka. Basically, you become their servant. It's it's remarkable yeah. that that three years is seen as almost like the cutoff point where this moves from a regular sort of employment and almost becomes a quasi evid, um, in which case it's actually you've gone too far.
Right. I think that's the lush of the Shach. I, I was glancing at it uh, over Shabbos. The, the Shach says that Afalgav de Evid Gamar Lohavi the Chol Helcho. So you know you're not mamish, not literally a servant. Mikomakum Kavan de Nafkami Torah Sachir Ka'avar Al Kili Bene Israel Avadim. But you're no longer just simply a worker. You're not just simply an employee. You've now been, I don't know, elevated or degraded, depending how you want to look at it, to the uh, Madrega, to the status of a servant to another human being. So this is um, this is really remarkable. And this seems to be a really core idea that the Chavis Ya'er reckons with. And uh, are there any uh, any nafgaminas, any other practical ramifications that emerge from this concept that the Chavis Ya'er reckons with? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the first thing you really have to understand is how, what exactly is the meaning of this line, how are we supposed to apply this? Um, so this is, this is uh, in this tshuva of the Chavis Ya'er, he suggests two different ways of understanding this halacha with very significant ramifications. So um, let's say track one, the first way of understanding this is that this Gemara of Paul Yechalachsa, or workers allowed to rescind his uh, his employment in the, middle, in the middle of the job, is really telling us, I guess you could call it a matzav. It's a, it's a situation, it's a reality. The reality is because of the Pasuk, Ki li b'nei Yisrael avadim avadai him, because Hashem declared that every Jewish person is his aved, that creates a mitzvah, it creates a reality that anytime I sign a contract with somebody else, with a human, there is like a built-in loophole. There's a built-in clause to that contract that says this is not a, a fully binding contract because there's a pre-existing contract that we also need to honor, right? Hashem has the contract that comes first. Rashi actually on the Pasuk says literally the line, Shtari Kodem, my contract came first. And Hashem says, I, I'm the original owner. I'm allowing you to hire yourself out to other people, but I'm building in a clause. And that clause is, that uh, the, the employee, employee, employee always has the right to back out of the job if he so chooses. So wow. the, the halacha tells us a metzias, a reality. That's one track. And therefore, anytime a person decides that he no longer wants to uh, be committed to this job, he no longer wants to work, he can just step away. It's almost like a card that he can always pull out, or almost get out of work free card and say, I'm, I'm uh, using this, this out, and I'm done. It doesn't, we, we don't ask him why. We don't ask him what his justification is. He says, this is what I'm doing. Okay, nice. To, thank you for doing whatever work you did. Nice to have you on the team. Have a, have a nice life. That's track one. Track two um, is actually the, the quote that you gave from the Shach actually seems to reference this point, is that it's not telling us a matzav, it's not telling us a reality, but it's actually telling us a lav, that there is a prohibition of, of, of signing yourself up for any sort of service, not only a full-fledged servitude of becoming an eved, but actually any form of employment seems to... Uh, be some some level of transgression of this idea of that anytime you make a commitment, a working commitment to somebody else that's taking away from your flexibility, from your freedom to commit yourself to Avodah Hashem, and that's you know, something which is negative. We don't, Halacha does not want you doing that. Akash Baruch Hu does not want you making a commitment like that. And therefore, this is almost like a lav hanitik lase. It's almost like you did something wrong, and we're going to give you an opportunity to get out of it by breaking the contract. 
Well, that's that's fascinating. So is it a schus? Is it like, you know, you have a certain privilege or a right? Or is it that it's an isser? It's a prohibition for you to get yourself involved in the first place. And because the whole thing is just rotten from the outset, of course, you're allowed to exit an arrangement that is problematic inherently. Exactly. So, Allah is going to give you that opportunity almost like to do tshuva. So so what happens if, uh, and I think the Chavasir might address, what happens if, you know, this young woman doesn't like working for the first employer, but maybe she wants to go to someone else. Who, oh, like, so like that, was, that was part of the case. That was part of the case. So this is exactly part of the question. The woman went from the first employer and got herself another job. So the you know, Chavasir says that the, whether this, whether or not this is okay, whether she can use this uh, or clause depends on this, what we call the Chakira. If the idea of is a matzav, it's a reality, um, built into the contract is this automatic um, jump seat clause that you can always get out of it. So then we don't ask this woman where she's going or why she's leaving. She's always allowed to leave and she can do whatever she wants. No, we don't care what her motivation is. But if the point of this halacha is you're trying to do tshuva, you're trying to fix your mistake of, of signing yourself signing yourself up for employment by anybody outside of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So the fact that the woman is then going and signing herself up to somebody else means she's not doing tshuva. She's not realizing I did the wrong thing, chatasi, avisi, pashati, and I, I want to do tshuva now. She's she's going right now to sign herself up for more servitude, for more service. So maybe according according to that approach, she should not have access to the to the clause. She should not be allowed to cancel her first contract and she should be beholden to the original servitude. Wow. And I also, I, I did glance a little bit further past that critical section of the Chavis Yar. I noticed that there might be a little bit of a gender distinction as well, that the notion is not just simply being in servitude to something that is basaradam, something that is human as opposed to God, but it's practical because when you are indentured to another, to a human being, you don't have the freedom to fulfill mitzvos that are mitzvahs my grandma that are time bound because your time now belongs to this individual. So he seems to maybe it's more of a havamina. He seems to reckon with this question of maybe for the shifcha if it's a female employee or servant, she already is putter from time bound mitzvos. So maybe this svara would not apply to her. And he actually, it's interesting, he mentions that in the accounting of who left Egypt, it only counts the men because now they were free to do those mitzvos. So I just I just thought it was like fascinating how he took it to its logical conclusion uh, to even go so far as to potentially distinguish between men and women uh, in terms of their servitude. Right. I think that that relates. I don't think he ties it specifically to this Hakira, but that could relate to the point of is this built into every single contract or is this only when it's going to have a significant negative impact on their potential to, to serve Abad Hashem and do the mitzvahs that they're supposed to do that would break down to the to the male, female, to the Abad versus the Shifcha. Wow. And so what's the Maskana? What's the what's the Chavas Yar's bottom line after doing all the Lamdisha backflips? What do we what do we have in the end of the day? So, so the Chavas Yar's bottom line seems to be we, we don't see a distinction like this and uh, between um, we, we don't we, we're not meant to ask questions of we're not giving the, the person a survey. Why are you trying to quit your job? Um, the, the the basic understanding seems to be that it's a Mitzias, it's a reality and they're all, a, a person always has the right to break a contract, and we don't really care why it is. Um, this is brought down in the Pesach Tshuva and Shulchan Aruch. 
And he, he, he quotes from the Chosen Mayim Chaim, who also makes the, the same, who brings up the same two sides. But it actually does make its way to the pages of, of the tour, Beis Yosef, the Shach. The, these two sides for understanding this, this, um, this halacha actually continues to reverberate. And then be part of this halachic discussion. Even though the Chavisiyar seems to have come down on the side of, let's say, Matzav, there are other indications that the you know, Lav perspective still is a significant force to be reckoned with. Wow, this this is this is great. And I, you know, I always I always wonder. Um, maybe this is going a little bit off the rails over here uh, about the nature of servitude nowadays. We. You know, generally, it's kind of funny because you go to many more affluent Jewish communities. It's not so much Jews working for other Jews, but many times we take people who are non-Jewish and people have, um, I'm not sure they call it the help, they call it a maid. It's very fascinating. This is my one of my few very liberal opinions that I have, which is it's kind of funny how we did away with slavery in America. There's no official slavery on the books, but there seems to be almost like an economic slavery that the lower class basically have to, now we don't call it slavery. We don't call them servants. We have nicer names for it and they get a paycheck, but basically they wind up uh, working and it's, it's fascinating. It's like what the Shach and what the Chavisir are talking about, which is I'm not on the books a servant, but when I wind up working in your house for over three years and I basic I basically become your servant at a certain point. And it, it almost gets me to wonder because we're talking about a value-based discussion here if we are perpetuating a form of servitude nowadays by having people perpetually work in people's homes and literally doing things that a servant would be doing maybe with more protections nowadays i would hope but um it, it's just fascinating to me i'm not i'm not sure if i you know i'm sure there's halakhic ramifications in terms of kashras there's all these questions that get raised about having non-jewish help working in your house what does that mean for the meat that's exposed there's there's real impl- there's yichud questions that come out from it but the the notion of being a shivcha or being an evit to someone is really true nowadays. It really happens in our modern day economy. And I can ask the same question, by the way. I don't, way. Know, if I would, I don't yeah. know if I would go that far to say that the idea of shivcha and adus is really, is really what's going on. I think the idea that the Salah is saying is that anytime you're, you're, you're employing yourself, you're hiring yourself out, is it's, it's a ka'in, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like, it's, it's similar to the idea of adus. I don't think we would say that it's going that far, though. Um, one of the questions which is brought up there's a, a fascinating din, which is very difficult to understand in the the tour in this in the sugya, and the way the Ketosa Choshen explains it is really again he he relates to this idea, but he says there's almost like the the actual application of the din, which is with an eved, and then there's an extension of the din which relates to a, a to a sachir, somebody who's hiring himself out. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's it's actual avdus, it's actual right, not actual kain. I think the kain is an important okay. term. I do I do agree with that. I do agree it's a kain. That's that, that's what I, I mean think as well. If you look at the sugya of Leol and Ben Tavodu, which is um, the sugya of, of not freeing mm. non-Jewish slaves. Yeah. So then you do get into some very interesting questions related to what you were talking about. Um, what What is the, I guess, value at play there? Maybe that, that yeah, right, exactly. The, the Isser possibly rooted potentially in Losachanim as well, depending how you understand the Lundus, ah, the prohibition oh, yeah. of freeing a non-Jewish slave. 
okay, if I need a minion, great. I found a, I found an escape hatch, but you're not allowed to. So that that's a great point. I also wonder um, to the to the Balbat and to my congregants who might be listening, ignore this part over here. So I also wonder about Rabbanus in general. There's, of course, the classic Rambam who writes that rabbis should not be taking payment. And we found Haramos. We found ways to circumvent it. Maybe I'm paid for my administrative work. I'm paid for other things. Or I'm paid for the, the time I could be using for other kinds of work. But really, fundamentally, the Rambam and others hold that you're not a rabbi, a pulpit rabbi, should not be or teacher should be paid for the Torah that they teach. I mean, halavai, all, all I had, all I did was teach Torah, and then that would be the real issue. But the question I always wonder about is, am I employed by God or am I employed by a board? You know, who? it's a question not just for me personally, about the whole enterprise of Rabbanus in general. Who, you know, who are you truly in servitude to? Who are you truly working for? So that's, you know, that's a question. It's a value-based question, but I think it really has implications for this sugya. We have to think yeah, about think, it. Think are, we, are, we, line, are we considered servants of God? I think the bottom line of, exa of exactly the sugya is that it actually has two different messages, a message for the employer and a message for the employee, which I think is just so fascinating. Each each side of the hakira relates to one of the other parties at play. When it comes to the employer, I think the employer needs to keep in mind the matzav, perspective, right? He needs to remember that the reality is when I hire anybody, um, this the contract that I signed with him is a limited contract because God's contract comes first. And I can't see myself as the only one who has a claim on his time, on his life, on his resources, whose claim comes first. So the, the employer needs to remember the matzav perspective. At the same time, the employee he has to keep keep in mind the other side. He has to keep in mind the um, law perspective and say, what I'm doing right now is, let's call it a bit the evid. What I'm doing right now um, that I'm, I'm committing myself to somebody else and losing some flexibility of my time is something which I need to do, right? I got to be able to put food on the table, but it's coming with a trade-off. It's coming with the downside of not being as free to dedicate myself to Avodah Hashem as I would like. That's what he needs to remember. And, and, my ultimate, um, I should ultimately be beholden to, I only HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and in this current reality, I shouldn't be making sacrifices which are taken away from that ultimate commitment. It's like the, the, the lumdus, the Hakira of this Halacha actually has two very, very relevant messages, depending on whether you're in the employer's shoes or the employee's shoes. That's a, I'm really glad you made that point. That's a really important point to make, which is there's two parties over here. There's the employer and the employee, and they, they both have an imperative to keep this framework in mind and uh, and to therefore, of course, also be sensitive to each other. One last yeah. thing, and I, I know we're, we're almost at the end here, but I, I wanted to mention this before. I got a real kick out of the, there's a number of things in the introduction. Uh, you read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. It's worthwhile for our readers to read the whole introduction in the tshuva. But something I, I really appreciated that the Chavasiyar wrote, he says, you know, who am I to start? She's going to say that she did me wrong. She's going to say that she did me wrong. Who am I to get into this disputation between these two women? I don't know what's flying over here. Who am I to Paskin? You're sending me a Shila. And I think you even mentioned yourself, Rabbi Goldstein, that it's the, that the, whoever is the Rav, the Mordaster of that area, ultimately is helping them maybe come to a pshara, maybe to a compromise, or at least to give a, at least to give a final psak. And um, I think that that's a really remarkable thing. The Chavis Yar is willing to be mitzamsem. He's willing to take a step back and say, I can give you the general guidance. I can give you the framework, but ultimately you're the rub of your community and you have to give a psak that makes sense for the facts that you see on the ground where you are. 
Right. Both both the reality of what's the Menagamakum, only the community rabbi is going to know, and also the the kind of push towards Pshara. And like, can can we find some way of coming to some sort of a compromise? Um, only the community rabbi is going to be able to do that. Um, so the Chavisher says, I can give you some of the some of the background. I can try to work out some of the general questions, but this is something which you should be deciding on your own. Wonderful. And so, Rabbi Goldstein, I want to thank you for your time. Is Are there any uh, final thoughts you want to share, maybe some unanswered questions that our listeners can think about? And uh, if not, or if yes, also, also feel welcome just to share, you know, where can people learn more of your Torah? Where do you post your shirim, your writing, your book? Where, where can we learn more from you? Yeah, so just, uh, just to finish off this this idea, um, one of the things which which grabbed me about this halacha is that it's just a great example of when the Gemara itself, when really halacha itself, kind of reveals that what what you call the meta halacha, which I think you're you're um, you, you write about in your own work in the, in the challenging assumptions, this kind of level of um, let's say values or perspectives on life. That halacha is not just telling us do this or, or don't do that. This is how you're supposed to technically navigate the situation. But there's there's an additional level to halacha, which is expressing a value system. Um, this is how Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants us to navigate life. Um, and and the fact that halacha is so all encompassing, the fact that halacha is so detail oriented. Um, moves from this almost like challenge, like why does halacha care so much about the, the nitty gritty details to actually a really incredible thing. It's it's because of its detail oriented nature that it's able to have something to say on a values level, on an ideals level about so many different situations and really about all aspects of life. So a tshuva like this, which at, at first seems so plebeian, seems so distant from the world of values and world of halacha, um, I'm, I'm getting a job, I'm, I'm harvesting a field, I'm, uh, whatever, whatever it is that I'm doing, um, for, for halacha to come in with this pasuk of ki li b'nei Yisrael avadim avadai heim, which is such a, such a significant, such a broad, um, values-based type of pasuk, and use that to answer the question, I think it's just a great example of this. Um, let's say, approach to learning of finding hashkafa in halacha, something which I'm personally very drawn to. That's what I try to uh, try to give examples of in the Sefer, in halachic world, in my Sefer, in halachic worldviews. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what would draw me to this tshuva. Very good. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. It, it speaks to me a lot as well, which is many times we can just, people throw around a term Jewish values. Um, and many times when people invoke Jewish values, they mean, what my values are, and I'm just going to call them Jewish. But what you're my, doing, my values is, as a Jew, yeah. <laughs> right. So what you're doing is you're actually saying, let's look at the sources and let's see which values emerge from the halachic system. Of course, Ayin halachic man, and many others who I'm sure Absolutely. very much sign on to this philosophy. So Rabbi Goldstein, and thank you so much for your time. Again, huge Greisishkayach for choosing a Choshi Mishpa topic. And uh, thank you for learning together with us today. Wishing you and your family Hatzlach and Bracha. Amen. Thank you very much, Rav Moshe. Take care. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.